Eye on 2020 episode 237. Have 2020 Vision with Ion 2020, your source for the news and events in the lead up to the 2020 presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date daily until November 2020 with a libertarian perspective on the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for joining me. Now let's clear our vision. Hey, what's up everybody? Ray Eaton here, coming at you on a Tuesday with another episode of Eye on 2020, which you come to daily for this news information, things that go on in this 2020 election. There has been a lot of talk about Michael Bloomberg lately getting into the Democratic nomination, right? And he decided to enter the race a couple weeks back. And I did an episode about him, I think last week or so. And he announced that he was going to get in. And it was, you know, all kinds of hype and fanfare. The dude has millions upon millions of dollars he spent 36 million dollars in an ad buy and i think earth yeah i think it was 36 million dollars might even be 50 million dollars but uh, i might be confusing him and another guy on the exact number but it was like the largest news buy by a politician or at media buy sorry the largest commercial media buy by a politician in history and it was for like one week it was just one week worth of ads and he basically brought himself into the polling at like 3 or 4% in some of these polls that are coming out. And that's huge for someone to do that fast. He has a lot of media hype around him now. He has a lot of people doing interviews with him. And he's going to start making some big mistakes in these media appearances because he's only been out there for a couple of weeks with his candidacy now he's only been out there talking with media for a couple weeks and they're going to start you know trying to pin him down on his issues they're going to start trying to pin him down on what he believes they're going to start pinning him down on his record things like that and he's going to start making some mistakes and I think I found a mistake which I'll talk about in a little bit but this guy um was able to get, like I said, into some of the polls that I saw. He's running like 3 or 4% in some of the polls. Some of the, even the states like Iowa and New Hampshire, you're starting to see him polling as well. Nationally, he's starting to poll uh, pretty good. And that might help to increase the hype around him as well. That, hey, you know what? He's someone that's electable against Donald Trump. And that's, I think, what the Democrats that are supporting him are thinking maybe I have no idea or maybe they're just unhappy with the group of candidates that they have first in the first place because if you look at the top four runners I've said this in the past you have Joe Biden everyone thinks that he might be able to beat Donald Trump that's why he kind of stays at the top of the list of people that uh you know he's pulling highest and nationally Joe Biden does pull higher than everybody else he's consistently six seven eight percent percentage points higher in the national polls than you'll find Bernie Sanders, Lewis Warren, or even Pete Buttigieg, right? Now, when you get into the local polls, like you get into the the early states, you get Iowa. Pete Buttigieg seems like he's putting in a lot of effort there. He's a hard worker. He's somebody that people can look at as a really smart, bright guy, and he's polling well in Iowa. Looks like he is starting to shore up a lot of support there. Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders continue to get good support in Iowa as well. 
Joe Biden doesn't seem like he has a lot of support in Iowa, although he is sort of neck and neck with the other three as well. He needs, everyone's saying that he needs to have a good showing in Iowa because by the time you get to South Carolina, a lot of the momentum might be out of his candidacy by then. But the thing is, is people like Elizabeth Warren, Pete Buttigieg, and Bernie Sanders don't have a lot of the African-American vote especially Pete Buttigieg, he's seen as somebody that has made a lot of mistakes as a mayor in South Bend, Indiana, with, uh, I heard him saying, I heard him, like, apologizing for not segregate or not desegregating schools in South Bend, Indiana. I'm not sure exactly what desegregating schools in South Bend, Indiana means, because schools have been desegregated since the 70s, and he's only been the mayor there since, like, 2011, so... It's almost impossible to say, yeah, I'm going to desegregate the schools because they're already desegregated. But then again, when you look at it from a different perspective of if most of the African-American students are in one school district or one school specifically in that city, and a lot of the other schools are mostly or majority white, then people would look at that and say, hey, that's that's a segregated school. When really, the very fact that public education is the way it is that you're zoned for a school based upon your neighborhood so that's where you go and if you go into the neighborhoods that are predominantly african-american then you're most likely going to have mostly african-american students that go there and then maybe on the outskirts if there's some or there's there's, if there's some white families that are kind of living within that neighborhood then you'll have those kids going to those schools as well but when you go into a all-white school or a school that is predominantly white, and you see four or five African-American kids per classroom, but 20 students, would you call that segregated? If there was one African-American student in that class, would you call that segregated? Or are you just referring to it from the uh, that's, that standpoint? I don't know. But how do you fix that? How do you solve that problem within the school district? Pete Buttigieg was apologizing for it, saying that. So he has a... The African-American community seems like they might be beating up on them, maybe. Uh, Maybe some of the leaders of the African-American community are bringing these ideas out there. I don't know, but the thing that people have alluded to is maybe they should start busing again, where they start taking schools that are predominantly African-American because they're in the the neighborhoods that mostly African-American students would be in. Um, Or uh, those African-American communities those schools, should they bust those students out of those schools into these schools, these other schools to make it more desegregated? Should the government get involved in that in the first place? Well, the government's already involved in schools in the first place, so maybe they should, but they've always said, well, the busing did not work in the 70s. And that's what they're sort of beating him up on, which is stupid to beat him up on that because it's basically just the way that public schools are. But he's apologizing for it. Um... So, in that sense, he's starting to get... He's, if he's having to go into these African-American churches, let's say, and apologize to the people for this stuff, maybe that's not the best foot to stand on to get the African-American vote, right? That's all I'm saying. And, uh, but he's pulling well in Iowa. He's pulling well in New Hampshire. But when you get to South Carolina, Joe Biden is definitely the one that is uh, pulling the best there. But... The thing is, is the top four candidates, people don't seem to be very happy with them. 
they're not people that are going to toe the party line. Joe Biden will, of course. Pete Buttigieg might. But Bernie Sanders, outlier candidate, somebody that might um, might not go along with the system that's been set up for him, if you know what I mean. Same thing with Elizabeth Warren. Maybe she won't toe the party line quite as much as everybody else. And you know what? Her plans that she has, they're not well thought out, even though she has plans for a plan for that is what she says. But they're just not really well thought out. They're very socialist leading. Um, there's a lot of stuff that you're starting to see in Elizabeth Warren where people are not getting behind her. She's starting to lose support. So you have Bernie Sanders consistently being at 16, 17%, but not getting much more support, right? You have Elizabeth Warren who's splitting that more socialist-leaning left vote with Bernie Sanders, and she's not getting much more support anymore. She's actually starting to go lower in the polls. Then you have Joe Biden who's consistently pulling well nationally, but not doing well in the early states as well, except for South Carolina. And But people think to themselves, is he going to be able to stand up to Donald Trump? Is he somebody that can beat Donald Trump? That's the only leg that he has to stand on is that he has a lot of experience, so maybe people will vote for him. He's kind of like the Mitt Romney of 2012 in the 2020 election. Then you have Pete Buttigieg, who doesn't really pull well with a key constituency that the Democrats need to win in order to take the presidency from Trump. They'll have to really repackage him to sell him to that you know the African American community maybe if he becomes the nominee. And that's what people are looking at. They're saying, I don't really like this. I don't really like the people that we have up there. I just don't feel confident in three of them to be able to beat Donald Trump. And then the one that I do feel confident to beat Donald Trump, he's prone to gaffes. He's prone to be somebody who uh, might make some major mistakes, major hiccups going into 2020 against Donald Trump. And people really want someone that could beat Donald Trump. So in pops Michael Bloomberg, right? In pops Michael Bloomberg. Here he is. Tons of money. Somebody that can jump to 5-6% in the polls pretty quick. And then he goes off and just, you know, starts doing these interviews and stuff. And he's really starting to show his true colors. That's what I want to get at today. He's showing the true colors. Remember when I talked about this a couple weeks ago? When Bloomberg was talking about getting in? He's the guy that put a high tax and made it illegal to purchase sodas that are over 20 ounces in the state of, or in the city of uh, New York, right? He's willing to add taxes to things, higher taxes of things that people purchase in order to get them to use less of it. Because they, this is what they say. If you tax something, you get less of it. If you subsidize something, you get more of it. So if you tax something like coal at a high rate, then you're going to get less use of coal because it costs more. You're making financial decisions based upon that. If you subsidize something, you get more of it, right? So if you subsidize something like natural gas or solar, you're going to get more of that solar power. You're going to get more of that natural natural gas, right? So the government can use those things, taxes and subsidies, in order to change economic outcomes, in order to change the economy. And it does that a lot. If there's something that the government, the people, the powers that be, those that are wiser than you, if there's something they like, like solar power, like wind power, 
they know better than you what you want, right? So they'll subsidize solar power, wind power in order to get more of that. They'll offer subsidies to bring, like local city governments, offer subsidies to like Amazon by giving them tax breaks, tax deferments, 20 years with no taxes on the property to bring an Amazon distribution center into that city. They're going to subsidize that because they want more of it. They're going to subsidize those businesses because they want more of those businesses to come in. Well, Michael Bloomberg was kind of challenged on this. And they said, well, isn't a tax on soda, on cigarettes, on gas, on sweets that you think that we should have, isn't that a tax on the poor? And then listen to what he says, okay? That's the key thing. Listen to what he says. I went ahead and recorded it. So listen to what he says, and I'll comment on it further. Some people say, well, taxes are regressive. But in this case, yes, they are. That's the good thing about them, because the problem is in people that don't have a lot of money. And so higher taxes should have a bigger impact on their behavior and how they deal with themselves. So I listen to people saying, oh, we don't want to tax the poor. Well, we want the poor to live longer so that they can get an education and enjoy life. And that's what, why you do want to do exactly what a lot of people say you don't want to do. The question is, do you want to pander to those people or do you want to get them to live longer? So, yeah, he talks about taxes being aggressive. And he says, and a regressive tax is something that affects the poor more than, more than the rich, right? And he says, but in this case, yes, they are. That's a good thing about them because the problem is in people that don't have a lot of money. And so higher taxes should have a bigger impact on their behavior and how they deal with themselves. So I listen to people saying, oh, we don't want to tax the poor. Well, we want the poor to live longer so that they can get an education and enjoy life. And that's why you do what want to do exactly what a lot of people say you don't want to do. So you need to tax the poor. You need to tax these things because you want to have the outcomes that you want, right? That is the epitome, to me, guys, that is the epitome of the liberal idea that somehow there's like an intelligentsia out there that knows better how to live your life than you do. There's like a group of people that can make decisions for the masses and make better decisions for you than you can make for yourself. That somehow these people are smarter than you. That somehow these people can kind of like manipulate society in a certain way, kind of prod them and nudge them along in order to get the outcomes that they want. So we tax soda because you know what? We don't want people drinking too much soda. It leads to diabetes. So we're going to add a higher tax on soda. And the rich people, they don't care. They, they can afford to buy their soda if they want to. But if we could just add you know, a 25, 30 cent tax or a dollar tax on a, on a can of soda. So instead of costing you a bucket, cost you two, then you're going to drink less soda. And that's going to be good for you. Trust us. We know better than you. We know better how to spend your money than you do. We know better. Trust us. Okay. So we're going to go ahead and take a dollar from every can of soda that you get. And we're going to put that into a little pool of money so we can distribute that out to our friends. Oh, wait, no, wait, not distribute it out to our friends, sorry. Put it into a little pool 
so that we can make sure that when people do have diabetes, we can help cover the cost. Yeah, that's what we're going to do because somehow the government knows better than you do how to, how to run your life. And as soon as you go down that slope, you have one thing happen. We're going to tax soda. We're going to tax cigarettes. They already have cigarette taxes, right? They have gas taxes, things like that. So they start trying to regulate your life, regulate you and what you do based upon putting taxes on things that you demand. But to me, that just drives me absolutely crazy. This guy is the epitome of somebody that just wants to control the economy, a command and control economy. Somebody that thinks that there's just some group of people up there that can kind of make decisions on what's good for you and what's bad for you. Then we're going to tax this and subsidize that in order to manipulate you in a way that will get you to do something. And that's how we're going to manage the poor. That's how we're going to manage the people. That's how we're going to make people get healthier. By taxing everything that's bad that they might consume. It's just, it's, I don't know. It's To me, that is just hypocrisy. Because you're out there drinking a soda. Why should you have the ability to tell me what to do? That's what I want to know. And you, anybody out there in this world, why should they have the right to tell me what to do with my body, who I should interact with, or what I should eat, drink, or whatever? I don't think anyone should have that ability. I think that the libertarian way is, if I feel like doing it, I should be able to do it, as long as I'm not infringe upon somebody else's rights. And then you have a Mike Bloomberg who's going to use the government to force people in a certain way by poking at them and prodding and confiscating their wealth and confiscating their stuff. Because that's all a tax is, is taking something from somebody that they didn't give you freely. A tax on that soda. But all that is is that, that liberal thing that says that somehow there's like a group of people that knows better how to control your life than you do. I'm not going to go much further on that. You guys... If you're listening to this show, you probably take a libertarian look at things as it is, right? So, this is just somebody who, somehow he just thinks he knows better better for your life than you do. And nobody knows better for your life than you do. If you want to go drink a soda, have at it, man. Yeah, there are people that abuse it. There's people that abuse everything, though. There's people that abuse gambling there's people that abuse all that stuff like everything in this world that's good that's fun that's enjoyable is abused somehow right but if you want to drink a soda i don't think that there should be a problem with that and this guy it's just that it's i don't know man it just drives me nuts when i hear people especially politicians because they want to use the force of government to control your life That's it. They want to use the force of government to control your life. And how does the government force people to do things? Taxes. And then if you don't pay the taxes, gunpoint. What if, like, there's a dollar tax on soda, so you start a underground black market for soda, right? Next thing you know, they're coming to your house, pointing guns at you, trying to collect taxes from you for selling black market soda. Come on, guys. That is just crazy that he would say that it's just and he says the question is do you want to pander to those people or do you want to get them to live longer 
There's just no question if you raise taxes on full sugary drinks, for example, they will drink less. And there's no question that full sugar drinks are one of the major contributors to obesity. And obesity is one of the major contributors to heart disease and cancer and a variety of other things. So they start with sodas. But then where does it go next, right? We're going to tax this. We're going to tax that. Until finally they're controlling your life down to... If you give the government to control, the ability to control anything, the politicians will always find a way to try to control more, right? But then on top of that, the next problem that you start seeing is this. The politically well-connected that have kind of some ties to this congressperson or that congressperson, they start trying to push their agenda with that congressperson by lobbying them to try to push for one thing to be taxed or one, like, you know, the, the carrot lobby might try to tax the, get the congresspeople to tax the celery lobby because celery sticks just aren't quite as healthy as carrots. And all of a sudden you get like this huge corruption thing going on. And that's just a funny example, right? Carrots and celery. But that's what you'll end up getting. You'll get people in Congress specifically lobbying to get taxes raised on their products or their competitors' products or, t- t- or yeah, taxes lowered on their products and put on their competitors' products and so forth. And you have this group trying to figure out ways to make this group taxed higher. And then people are just fighting for those taxes. Then you have more lobbyists up there trying to make things happen like that. So it ends up leading to corruption. It ends up leading to politicians who are on one side or the other when they should be neutral on this stuff. Those are things that the government should not even be involved in in the first place. So we start with soda. And then the water lobby comes in and says, you know what? The bottled water lobby comes in and says, you know what? It needs to be on those high sugar fruit drinks as well. But then the orange juice lobby is like, hold on, you can't do that to us. And then they start fighting it out. And then it just becomes everybody using the guns of government in order to get their way. Do we want that? Do we want cronious system like that? No. But that's what Bloomberg is advocating for if you look at, if you take that particular situation to its logical conclusion, okay? You already have it in everything else. Do we really want it? in the food that we eat, in the things that we consume? Do we want the government to have that much power? I say no. I say no. But the thing that, that, that I've said this in the past, guys, the thing that is the problem is this. People, when there's a problem, the first thing they do is they say, well, what can government do to solve it? They look at the government and they say, pass a law. That's our natural instinct nowadays, guys. When the government has, when there's a problem, we look to the government, we say, what can our politicians do to fix it? They need to pass a law. What we need to start doing is changing the culture. The culture that if there's a problem, we should pass a law. The culture needs to be changed. If there's a problem, what can we do to fix it as a people? What can you and I do to get together? If we look to you and me, if we look to each other to try to solve the problems, rather than looking to politicians, rather than looking to government, that's how we start to get people to stop depending upon politicians and government for answers to problems, okay? We start trying to change people's idea 
of what they think the government should do. We try to change their expectations of their government and their politicians. If that's what we, if that's what we're able to do, if we're able to get people to stop looking to their politicians for these answers to problems in our lives, like the obesity problem, do we want to trust Michael Bloomberg to fix the obesity problem by taxing soda? No, we get out there and educate people, man. That's what we do. We don't need the government to do that. We start telling people about the negatives of sugary drinks and stuff. I think people understand that already. But that's what we need to do. We need to stop depending upon the government. We need to teach our friends that limited government is the answer. And when they start learning that limited government is the answer, they start believing that, that's when we start winning. That's when we start taking back control from the government. That's what we need to do, okay? Wouldn't it be great to live in a world where we tried to figure out how to solve problems without the use of force? We tried to solve problems not by the barrel of the gun, but by communicating with each other. By you trying to convince me that your way might be a better way. Rather than, oh, you know what? I don't think people should be drinking sodas, so we're going to pass a law and point guns at people that try to drink sodas. Arrest them for it. That's the exact wrong way. That's like the way that you would do it in a barbaric world. And that's the world that we live in in some ways, right? Where everything needs a law to be passed. And it doesn't seem so barbaric because you're not hitting someone over the head with a club every time they do something wrong. But you're telling somebody else to do that on your behalf. That's what Michael Bloomberg's doing. He has this idea that we should tax this and tax that to get people to do what he wants them to do. That's the equivalent of him in a group of 50 people walking around bonking people over the head every time they drink a soda and saying, stop it. That's it. But he's just doing it through the use of laws. And if you don't follow those laws, then they'll do it by the use of force. But there is a world that you can live in where we don't do everything by use of force. I think that's like the, the 21st and 22nd century answer is, is living, you know, that, that's the future of governance, I think. The future of human flourishing is the idea that one day we'll learn to live without the use of force. Non-aggression. That non-aggression principle that they talk about in libertarian movement. The idea that people can get along without the use of force. We don't have to have guns pointed at each other through the federal government because we want something done. The poor are going to try to go to the government to get them to confiscate money from the rich so they can have a little bit more of it, and vice versa. The rich aren't going to go to the government and, for, and try to pass a law so that the poor have to purchase a product from them to try to monopolize the system. Like we can live in a world where voluntary interaction is the, is the is the is the way is the norm. And if there are people that are bad, if there's people that like that one or percent of people or whatever that is, right, that are just bad people, that we learn how to deal with them in a in a way that you know puts them outside of society in some way. 
Like, there are always going to be bad people. We could live, the 99% of us that are good people, we could live in a voluntary way, a way that we're not going to have to use violence in order to coerce each other to make things the way that we want them to be. Coercion is not the correct way to try to get things done. The point of a gun, the barrel of a gun is not the best way to get things done. You get someone to do what you want them to do. Go out there and have that conversation with them. Convince them that your way is a better way. That's how you do it. Every single day, when you go out and buy anything, there's nobody coercing you to do it. There might be state coercion somehow, like you go to a gas pump and they're coercing you to pay a certain amount extra beyond what the gas station gets from it because the state is taking taxes. That's coercion. That's the state saying to the gas station, you have to pay this amount for every gallon that you spend, right? Or a gallon that you sell. You have to pay us this amount. That's the coercion. But you and me, we get out there and do it freely. When you go to the, there's the thank you, thank you idea, right? The double thank you. When you go to the store and you buy a t-shirt from somebody, you go into the store, you buy a t-shirt t-shirt costs you 10 bucks you check out you say thank you to the person they say thank you to you there was no coercion there at all that was a voluntary interaction that was a voluntary exchange they convinced you that that t-shirt was worth 10 bucks you convinced them that your 10 bucks is worth more than that t-shirt to them like that's all it was that person put that t-shirt up for sale for 10 bucks because it was worth that ten dollars is worth more to them than the t-shirt is but to you that t-shirt's worth ten bucks that's why you were willing to spend your money but yeah that is the that's the world that we could live in guys that's the basics of libertarian thought right now there might be need to be we could talk about the minarchist state and the idea that people that there needs to be some sort of government yeah that's fine a lot of us agree with that. A lot of us agree that there, there are some things that a government should do. But the government that we have today is to the point where we're arguing whether they should tax soda in order to get the poor people to stop drinking so much soda so that it could save their life. Or supposedly save their life. Yeah, that, guys, is not the state that we should be living in. We should be living in a free state. A state that does not tell you what you can do with your body unless you're infringing upon someone else's rights. But hey guys, I appreciate you joining me daily for the show. Uh, Monday through Friday, I'll be putting this show out until we get into the November month of next year, okay? So we got about 11 months to go until the election, so keep on showing up daily. Uh, The only time I really think I'll be taking any type of days off where I'm not doing the show is going to be around holidays and stuff like that. Um... I did that the last two days. I did that Thursday and Friday. Happy Thanksgiving to you guys. I did that so that I could just, you know, not have to deal with the show. There wasn't a lot of news going on anyway. And you know what? Sometimes you just need a break. A little bit of a break, right? Uh, Christmas, I'll be taking a week where I'm going up to New Hampshire to take my kids snowboarding. So uh, you could expect that I probably won't do as many shows those days as well. I might pre-record a few. I'm not sure. I haven't decided yet. Uh, but you know, a lot of podcasters seems like they take around a week or two off in, in December anyway. So I might do that as well. 
Uh, but then January comes around, and um, we're going to be going, because that's when you're going to start seeing the big-time stuff going on with the election, especially on the Democratic side. You're going to start seeing the Democrats uh, start having their primaries and things like that going into February, March, and April. So that'll be exciting, right? Um, keep covering these debates, even though the debates really are not being paid attention to by anybody anymore, it seems like to me. Because they're boring, and they're just annoying to listen to people promise, you know, try to one-up each other. They're like one-uppers. You, know, you ever been around that person that you're like, oh yeah, I just got a new car, and they're like, yeah, well, I got a newer car, dude. Well, that is pretty much what all of the uh, the Democratic candidates are doing. They're just trying to one-up each other on who's going to give away the most stuff, the most of your stuff, so... Um, no one's paying attention to the, the debates, but I'll keep on doing these shows on that. But yeah, keep on coming back, all right? Uh, check me out. I on the Empire is on Twitter and on Facebook. And if you check me out, IonTheEmpire.com, Ray at IonTheEmpire.com if you want to email me. And then you can subscribe to the show if it's your first time listening as well. That would be nice. Go and subscribe to the show so you can hear the show tomorrow. You can also check out the 236 episodes I have previous to this one. If you want to, I don't just cover current events. I cover the candidates, their policies, different policies that they have, and how they do not mesh with libertarian thoughts. So you can check those shows out as well. But if you want to give me a five star rating and review, that's always helpful too. So, uh, but yeah, come on back tomorrow so you can have clear vision for 2020.